Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Jesse Wong, a registered dietitian who started out wanting to be a doctor, ended up being an accountant, and then becoming a dietitian as a second career. Her passion for nutrition stemmed from a family connection to irritable bowel syndrome, and the rest is history. As with many people, the pandemic has made a shift in her career from working with collegiate athletes to growing her business specializing in IBS and gut health. Please enjoy my conversation with Jesse. Like I said, I'm so excited just to kind of learn more about you today. I I know I feel like I know you through the whole social media space, but I know that there's such a other big component to your presence in this awesome field that you are so passionate about. So I know we'll get to that point, but why don't I always like to start off my podcast and ask my guests, why don't you tell me about you know, the first time you got interested in nutrition, dietetics, health and wellness, where did that all start for you? Oh my goodness. This question is hard. And you know, the funny thing is I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I am a um, second career dietitian. So I used to be an accountant and, um, Oh, yes, that's a, that's a completely different area. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Oh my God. Yes. You got to go back to school for five years for <laughs> to become a dietitian. So it is right. really different. But um, I'm really glad I made the jump. So this was about 10 years ago. I I'm, haven't been a dietitian for that long, but I've always been interested in nutrition and always looking up information online and we know how crazy the internet is oh my goodness thankfully i became a dietitian i'm not just researching my own nutrition stuff but um yeah actually today now is 2021 exactly 10 years ago in summer one day i woke up i was an accountant at one of the um, big four accounting firms public accountant and um I've been there for a couple of years now, almost two, two years. And one day I woke up and I just didn't want to do tax for wealthy people anymore. It's crazy. And I started thinking what I wanted to do. So I've always been interested in nutrition. And um, I'm from Hong Kong. And one of my really good friends from high school, she went to Australia to to her college and university education, and she became a dietitian. Mm. And I reached out to her and asked her more about what dietitians are because she's the first person I know that is a dietitian. I've always thought it was, you know, nutritionist um, without knowing too much about mm-hmm. nutrition and dietetics. And... Um, so she told me about what they do and what is studying nutrition and dietetics mean. And I got very interested and I've always been interested in nutrition. And I thought, well, if I want to learn about this and if I want to make an impact on other people's life, this is the route I want to go. I think in the past, I wanted to be a doctor as well, but I'm really thankful that I never made it through that route. <laughs> 
just because of the time commitment or what, you know, what was the Um, thing that? Yeah, I mean, actually, when I was in college, this is a long time ago, I was pre-med at first. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was young then and I didn't study very well. So after one semester, I thought, well, you know what, this is not going to work for me. Then I switched to the business school and studies finance and accounting instead. So that was the route. But as you know, most dietitians, we've went through um, undergrad pretty much like the pre-med path. So, you know, if we wanted to go for med school, I think most dietitians can do that. But the lifestyle choices between a doctor and a dietitian is very different. Mm. So, yeah. So I'm really glad in that sense that we can be in a field that... um, that is life changing. We can have a lot of impact on someone's well being, and we don't have to wait until a person is really sick. Although I am doing IBS, which people are usually really sick before they want to work with a dietitian. But um, but yeah, nutrition is so important. Of course, I'm talking to you, another dietitian. Yeah. You would know that. <laughs> But it's interesting how you started out, you kind of started out thinking you wanted to be in healthcare and that shift to accounting, like that's, you know, like (laughs) going to accounting from the shift of healthcare and then coming circling back and getting, it's kind of like that accounting was a necessary pause for you (laughs) to realize that you did want to be in a different area of of health and wellness and, and medicine. Right. Yes. Yes, that was. And I think the stress of working in one of those accounting firms, too, um, it was um, it was crazy. And <laughs> unless you are really money driven, what well, they do have a lot, the pay is a lot better being a public accountant. But the hours mm. are also crazy. I'll give you an example. It's during busy season. It would be 9 a.m. to 3 a.m., and then you start mm. over the next day. And that could be two weeks. That could be two months. And um, Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's public accounting, basically. But, um, but, yeah, it's most people get out of it within the first four years. I would say if you're getting out of it, you get out of it within four years. You don't stay that long. Exactly. And. People go different routes. Actually, when I was there, the team I was in, we had someone go back to law school. We had someone join the army. <laughs> you left to be a dietitian. I left to be a dietitian. <laughs> Another friend left to be in the film industry. Yeah, it's... Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's accounting. That's accounting. But um, it's, it's tedious. It pays well. There's always jobs, but it's not mm-hmm. something that is fulfilling. Well, and you, and you obviously like your friend. So your friend that, did you know about dietetics before your friend went into it? And then how did you kind of transition into figuring out you were going to go to school for that? You know, no, I didn't know about dietetics. Um, the thing about Hong Kong is, I don't know if you're familiar with it. So we are a very small city that used to be ruled by the British but um, mm-hmm. we, what we have in Hong Kong is a really strong public health um, f- 
Foundation. They actually promoted healthy eating a long time ago.、Mm. And smoking, they banned smoking over thirty years. Maybe actually, I think when I was in elementary school, I'm giving out my age here, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're young. Well, <laughs> I would say about thirty years ago, they stopped. They banned smoking citywide. You cannot smoke in public places. And、wow. um, so they're very progressive. They they are, and they have a lot of and hand washing and and eating well. Like they promote a lot of those. They don't necessarily talk about they have dietitians, but the government is really、um, good at promoting all of that. So from a very young age, I've always been aware of、um, eating well. But back then, you know, it was the food pyramid, which doesn't really—it's、uh, not what we promote anymore. But、um, yeah, I was always aware of those things and always interested in how to eat better, how to feel better, and in a sense, also affected by the diet culture as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were like, okay, I'm all in. This sounds amazing. Where? So where does? Is there a lot of dietetic schools available to you? How did? How did you kind of navigate that? Oh, <laughs> this is a. Funny story, and、um, I think I think some other people or dietitians maybe、um, they can find this encouraging if they are pursuing something new. Okay, so I was living in DC back then, and I was I've lived there for four years, worked for a few years, and、um, and I needed to learn something new. So I reached out to two dietetics program. One is George Mason, and the other one is Indiana University. So my then really good friend, but not yet boyfriend, now husband, <laughs> lives、mm. in Indiana. So, so it was a huge life change. So I decided to move to Indiana for him at that time. And we got we,、wow. we've been family friends for a long time. We're family friends, so we've、mm-hmm. known each other for life, basically. And um, and um, that was a huge move, you know. Right, <laughs> and then he must be pretty special. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I don't know. Yes, <laughs> you just took a chance, and then you come to Indiana, and then yeah. And he was, and、um, I think for the first year I lived in Columbus where he works, and then we moved to Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana University is, and we're here、mm. ever since. Oh my goodness, it's been nine years. Wow! Right. And、um, I connected with the dietetics program director at IU, and I asked her if she's going to accept me because you know that was a huge move. I didn't want to move here and not be accepted. So, even before coming to IU, I connected with her and I talked to the, I guess, school counselor at that time about figuring out the classes because if I、um, I can fulfill some of the classes in the community college. So I did that while living in Columbus, and then we moved to IU, where I can do all the nutrition-focused classes here. Very cool. Yeah. Did you love it? Did you get? Did you like? Were you in love with it when you started? Like, were you like, "Yep, this is exactly what I should be yes. doing"? Yes. 
Yes, I think even it's not such a good feeling when you have that. Yeah, I mean, studying was so easy because it's so fascinating. But what I want to <laughs> say is, the training at IU really helped me to be very evidence based, and that is important because if you are helping other people, you're not just trying to sell a program to sell a program. You want to help people so that they will be successful in the long run. So, yeah, so. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, that's a, no, it's all part of how you, I mean, it's obviously it was important for you to, when you were learning right. in your learning process that you wanted to have, like science is very important to you. Like we can learn all the things about nutrition and food, but if you don't have mm-hmm. evidence, if you don't have scientific research, then sometimes I think a lot of dietitians don't realize that that's a huge part mm-hmm. of our profession. It's not just cooking up salmon in your kitchen and talking about how it has protein. There's so much more to the whole picture of being a dietitian. So I think that's a really good point to bring up because I think a lot of us dietitians forget that part, that nutrition is and the science-based part of nutrition. Right. Yes. Which is why attending FANCY or um, other continuous education is so important because the evidence change all the time. I'm, as we do better in research. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's the one thing that I think is fun about nutrition is because it does change. And I know people get all bent out of shape when they hear, oh, what's the new recommendation on eggs now? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, that's great to know that our profession is still like cutting edge and we're learning new things and there's science behind these things that we're learning. And we need to keep we can't just sit back and become complacent with what we have already learned. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. And especially in, and especially what you do, you know, like, and I know that we're, we haven't quite got there yet, but especially in the field that you're passionate about in, in IBS and, and GI things. I mean, that, that whole area, I feel like is just booming as far as how people are really realizing what, their whole body is affected with and that's by their guts and how what's going on there so you're like on the cusp of all the cutting edge stuff. Uh, yeah well I would say I am trying to stay on top of it because a lot of things are changing very <laughs> rapidly and yes yeah, and um yeah. yeah and in the gut health area a lot of companies are trying to monetize on this area and we see that in the forms of probiotics or even fiber, whereas the research in that does not actually nowadays, it really does not suggest probiotics unless there are specific reasons. And a big part of what I see is people taking a wrong strain of probiotics and they have nonstop diarrhea. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I do hope through my social media presence, I can let people know about it. And maybe we can prevent some of that from happening. And, uh, and that's so good. And that's, so, that's, so how did you, so maybe this, let's backtrack just mm-hmm. a little bit, but how did you, so you've been a dietitian for a little bit over a decade. Well, <laughs> no, you probably, how many, a little bit, a little bit under a decade. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Well, I, 2017 was when I became a dietitian. So almost four okay. years. So you went back to school. Yeah. I went okay, back to four school years. So and had, had two kids <laughs> while I was in school. Okay. 
while you oh my gosh that's crazy it was <laughs> I mean good for you that's a hard thing to do but oh my gosh you had a lot going on yeah um I think at the time I thought it was really good because I had a little bit more flexibility because um yeah, before having kids, I was straight A student coming back to nutrition. And then after having kids, I'm like, if I get a B plus, I'm very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like your realness. That's perfect. To say right. that. <laughs> um, so, and it, I guess like when you think about that whole, so for anyone, again, listening, like you're a second career dietitian, you or having children during your dietetic school. So that just really speaks to how much you really wanted to be a mm -hmm. dietitian. Yes. Well, we kind of planned it as part of it. One of the things I was thinking is that, well, it's going to school. Nobody's paying me to do anything. If I want to take a day off, you know, I could choose to take a day off. Versus at work, I think that's a little bit different. Well, especially, especially for mm -hmm. me coming back from an accounting background where, you know, the work needs to be done. It needs to be done. No matter you're pregnant, you're giving birth or not, you need to get it done. So I think right. that coming from that mindset to being a student, it was so much more relaxed. And of course, being a student has its own stresses, but it's different. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So during that time, is that when you kind of found out about like the gut? Like when did you become passionate about gut health and IBS and what part of your, was it mm -hmm. in school? Was it, you know, after you mm -hmm. got done? It's, um, it's my husband's diagnosis actually. And this is a fun story to talk about okay. too. Cause, um, uh, well, nobody, I don't think dietitians get into IBS or gut health if they, you know, unless they, they pick up a job and that's what they are supposed to do. But I don't think people like to go into poop business unless, you know, you have a <laughs> personal connection to it. And yeah, sure. and here's my personal connection is my husband has always had um, gut issues. And he has struggled with IBS. I think he went to Purdue actually for his PhD. So he has seen doctors there for his IBS. And um, for the longest time, I think we were just really frustrated. And after we were together and got married, I cook every day. I, I cook quite often. You see, I'm a dietitian, but I'm mm -hmm. not. I'm not someone who loves to cook and present my food. I'm not. I cook for us to survive. But um, one thing, <laughs> yeah, one thing I like to do is add a lot of garlic into everything I cook, and that is a big no-no for people with mm -hmm. IBS or constipation. And it's not a no-no in terms of garlic is bad for you. Garlic is great for you, but garlic ferments in your gut. <laughs> And his mm -hmm. IBS got significantly worse. <sighs> and I was to blame. And then, of course, during school, the professor that taught MMT, medical nutrition therapy, she was the first person who told us to try the Lofomat diet. And that was a few years ago now. I'm going to say 2013, probably. And at that time, 
there's not a lot of information on the low FODMAP diet. And we thought it was, you know, it's the good list and the bad list. I think most people in IBS, that's what they think, which is why it's Mm -hmm. very dangerous because the newer research suggests um, taking out FODMAPs for prolonged periods can actually decrease your good gut microbes. Well, let me get into that story. So at that point, we started doing low FODMAP diet for him. And it extended for the whole family. Of course, I'm the one cooking or I'm the one taking care of food. So I would just remove a bunch of FODMAPs. And that was garlic and onion and, and everything else. My husband was really afraid of them. And that is a huge disconnect mm. to, I mean, what we know nowadays. And, and of course, a lot of IBS patients are really afraid of FODMAPs because they really think that FODMAPs give them symptoms. But for most IBS, I think most of them started with chronic constipation. And some get to a point where they would have diarrhea. And, um, but if you are constipated, if things are stuck in your gut, you are going to feel bloated. You're going to feel discomfort. You're going to feel cramping when your gut is trying to have a bowel movement which is really normal. So for severe constipation, that's why I see a lot of people get really bad cramps in the morning. Um, but my point is, when you have things stuck in there and then you eat FODMAPs, which are the f- fermentable carbohydrates, they get in there, they ferment, and you bloat. And some of the bloating and distension is really scary. You do look like six months pregnant at the end of the day. And... Um, and, 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 of course, his experience that he's really afraid of FODMAPs because of that. And that's what a lot of people are as well, because they get on a low FODMAP diet, they remove a bunch of things that can ferment, and they feel much better. But they're not resolving the constipation. And especially when you remove a ton of fiber, that's eventually going to make your constipation worse. And... Um, that's so it, interesting. It really yes. is. <laughs> and if you talked. And you didn't know any of that until oh my God, all this no, happened. No, we didn't know any of that. And we demonized maps as well <laughs> without knowing any of this. And, um, and I think it, must have, it was 2017 or maybe 2018, I went to Fancy. And that was when I learned about the Monash course for dietitians. So Monash University is the university that develops the FODMAP diet. The FODMAP protocol, as I like to call it, because it is an elimination and reintroduction diet. So so another year, um, I think the year after that, I went to Fancy again. And I met... Um, and at that time, I saw Tamara Fruman talked about gut health, gut issues, IBS, and SIBO. And um, she really addresses a lot of the underlying issues and talked about what to do. And, um, and I got her book right away, and that is The Bloated Belly Whisperer. It, oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, my God. It is Amazing. You need to have her come on here and talk about her experience at some point. She is evidence-based um, and she uses the Monash, the FODMAP protocol as well in some cases. And we usually do that for people with carbohydrates intolerance. And of course, um, 
removing fault maps and reintroducing fault maps without addressing the underlying causes. And most of the time it is chronic or severe constipation. People will, if they get backed up again, they are going to have symptoms again when the fault maps mm. are being reintroduced. And that part really increases people's food fear. And um, which is why I really try to work on normalizing their guts before we reintroduce any fault maps and also using my social media presence to tell people that fault maps are not the issue. The issue is the underlying condition and we need to figure out what the underlying condition is and target it from that end versus just saying, yeah, these are the fault maps you don't tolerate, so don't eat them again or try to reintroduce them in six months. So, yeah, that's my experience. And, and Tama, in Tamara's book, she addresses about SIBO as well. And SIBO, I don't know if you're familiar, it is small intestine bacteria overgrowth. And between 70 to 80% of people with irritable bowel syndrome, they also have SIBO. Mm. And of course, see, um, SIBO is not a condition that happens by itself there are underlying causes to it. And one of the biggest underlying causes is slower gut motility. And again, for people with IBS, most of the time it is chronic constipation or severe constipation, and that is slower gut motility. So in treating IBS, you do have to treat SIBO as well, but you have to make sure the motility gets back to normal or somewhat normal or else SIBO can come back. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. And there is another disconnect with this. I think people really need help from dietitians is because doctors are great or in treating gut disorders, but they are trained with using pharmacological agents versus, you know, let's make sure you are eating enough fiber. I mean, they do that, but how to get enough fiber is a different story because that is quite tedious. And as you know, as a dietitian, changing people's lifestyle or dietary habit is not, you say, you tell me to increase my fiber, I'm going to increase my fiber. That's hard. And, and sometimes people would start stuffing themselves with fiber supplements. And if they are constipated and they start stuffing themselves with fiber supplement, they're going to get more constipated and they're going to bloat, which is not pleasant. No, <laughs> no, but that's, but like you said earlier, like that's what the mainstream, you know, mm -hmm. like you said, products and companies are like, you need fiber supplements, you need probiotics, you need it to, you need to be on the low FODMAP diet and do all these things and you'll be fine. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The companies are trying to monetize on this and they think they're doing people a favor. I don't know how many of them really think that. I think a lot of us who know the research, who has been keeping up with the research needs to really come out. No, it is not the fiber supplements. It is the variety in plant-based foods that you are eating that can really help feed the microbiome and help your microbiome stay diverse. But yeah, talking about fiber, it is in everything. Yes. The other day... <laughs> One of my patients actually said they are eating a yogurt and the yogurt had fiber added to it. Uh. 
That's insane. <laughs> that is insane. I'm not going to say which brand it is on here, but it is one of those really popular brands and one that most dietitians love, and I love it as well. But I think it's a particular one that they had that had that added to it. But that is not the worst. I mean, fiber, it's okay. Um, but probiotics, that is crazy. There are protein powders on the market that has probiotics added to it. For and no reason. For no reason. <laughs> it's good for gut health. And of course, I think they also had fiber added to it as well. So oh, probably. Yes. <laughs> the gut health product is fiber and probiotics added. Yeah. And I have had patients who have really bad bloating from it and diarrhea from it as well. So it's you got to be very careful. So you kind of think the biggest for anybody and even maybe for dietitians, like for a dietitian that, you know, doesn't specialize maybe in IBS or gut health, because we probably all get a question regarding it at some point in our careers. You know, we have a client we're seeing for something else, but then they start kind of trickling into, oh, well, I, I'm bloated sometimes or I'm bloated all the time or, you know, and mm -hmm. so what do you, what do you recommend for like the dietitian that's not a, that's not specialized like you, but maybe has a patient that they're seeing for weight loss or, you know, high cholesterol, and they mention these things to you, what would you recommend a dietitian do for them at that point? Okay. If they are having bloating right after a meal. Yes. yes and yes. that happens a lot if a person is taking a probiotics because that's okay. giving them SIBO actually. And a lot of the times people get severe reflux from it as well and lots of belching. So remove the patient from the probiotics right away. And what we can do as dietitian is really to help them expand their plant-based choices, um, making sure they're eating a good amount of fruits and vegetables at every meal. I think that's really hard for people to do. Even for dietitians, mm -hmm. if I don't pair a fruit with a meal, I'm not. Um, I think helping others realize that they need a little bit more fiber. And what I like to tell my clients to do is really adding a fruit to every single meal. So you at least have three servings of fruit throughout the day and having at least two to three different kinds of vegetable at each meal, except breakfast. And of course, switching to whole grain, which is basically, I think, most dietitians' recommendations. But if mm -hmm. they're bloated, do a little digging, see if anything they're taking has probiotics added to it. And also make sure they're not constipated. If they're constipated, work with them to use a laxative. Constipation is probably the number one cause for bloating. And the way constipation bloats is usually happens toward the end of the day. Like it would get worse at the end of the day. But of course, again, a lot of people with constipation, they might have SIBO as well. Or people who have constipation, they're bloated and they take a probiotics, bam, they have SIBO. And um, so really dig into if they're taking any probiotics and remove it and work on improving their general diet and making sure mm -hmm. they're pooping regularly. And there are people who will poop daily and they're still constipated because they're not emptying everything out. That's a good point too. Yeah. I think it's, I think what you're doing, like this is such, I mean, like we could probably have an eight hour conversation about <laughs> all of this, but 
I think as just from a dietitian perspective, for those of you that are listening, I think following a dietitian who specializes in this thing, and that's what I love about your Instagram is because you not only educate, you know, just the standard person, but you educate dietitians as well. <laughs> I, I hope you know that you're doing that because we, I mean, all of us, I think almost everybody has some type of GI issue that no one has a perfect gut, right? Right. So, so I think, don't you feel like as dietitians, we're going to, we need to find out as much information. Like you said, maybe someone is taking a probiotic or something with probiotics in, in it. And you don't even know. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point to bring up. But following you to help educate us as well is so important. Thank you. I, I try. <laughs> you do. You do such a good job. And you're like so great about just like throwing it out there like talking about pooping and talking about gas and talking about bloating and yeah you know this the words that people don't like to hear but it's everyone experiences it right and right everyone experiences it and there's so much stigma and taboo around that area there's um one story that I don't know if I should share I'm going to share with you and do it. Okay. <laughs> Just do it. But if this is inappropriate, I would love for you to take it out if possible. Oh, no. No inappropriateness on here. You're good to go with anything. Well, it, it's a sad story. It's a very sad story. And um, there was, when I was trained with FODMAP, so I had people reach out to me to help. And one of, a, a lot of old ladies or old men they are taking probiotics and they are having diarrhea. But back then, I was only trained with FODMAP. So I was not really aware of SIBO, small intestine bacteria overgrowth. And I had this old lady. She's a friend of a friend that reached out to me. And I helped her get on the low FODMAP diet to help her with her diarrhea. She's in her 80s. So she has a cardiologist, she has a gastroenterologist, and also a family physician who is an infectious disease specialist. And, um, but nobody could figure out why she was having a ton of diarrhea. So she finally said, I, well, I want to talk to a dietitian about this. And her friend knew me, and she knew that I also is specialized in GI, but at that time I was very new to being G, um, to be specialized in GI. I was trained with mm-hmm. the FODMAP protocol, so I was able to help her get on the low FODMAP diet. And when, we, when she was on the low FODMAP diet, actually she felt a lot better, but she was still having diarrhea. Actually, it, it, this has been three years. She was better but I also had to, I was leaving the country for two and a half months at that time. And um, she was better. And then it got back to being worse. One of the things she was taking at the time, she was taking a ton of medications and supplements. One of the things she was taking at the time was a probiotics. And... Um, and, and now, reflecting back, I think that was why she was having severe diarrhea, because it gave her SIBO. Mm. And um, she was in her late 80s. I think she was 87 at that time. And when I came back to the U.S., she actually passed away. 
And what I found out later was she took her own life because she didn't want to be in hospice, but she doesn't, she didn't want to be hospitalized. And the diarrhea got to a point that it was just so hard to deal with. And her husband had cancer and he was, I think he was in long-term care or hospice care for a long time. And she didn't want herself to end up like that. So she ended up taking her own life. And this was one of my earlier cases, helping people implement the low FODMAP diet and the protocol. And I always ask myself, and this is something I reflect back to, if I had, you know, more training in GI, or if I had learned more about SIBO, or if I had read Tamara Fruman's book at that time, I don't think if, I don't think it was published then, I'm not sure. I would have more tools to help her. And if the probiotics was the reason, and I have seen a lot more elderly after that, that were taking a probiotics that gave them SIBO, that we were able to stop. But, you know, I always reflect back in the, to that incident and think, you know, if there's anything else I could have done to help her. And um, which, you know, if you decide to air this story, you know, this is the biggest reason why for dietitians, for us that are working in any field we are in, we need to stay up to date with the research. Back then, probiotics was still recommended for IBS. The latest American College of Gastroenterology recommendation that just came out in December 2020, so about two and a half months ago, they do not recommend probiotics for IBS anymore because the evidence of it helping is very weak. And, and um, yeah, so for us, you know, we need to stay on top of the research and we need to know what tools there are that can help our patient's population. And that's so true. And I agree with you 100%. And honestly, like, it is, that is such a, that is a sad story. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm sure that you carry that with you a lot and think about that in the future people that you treat and you work mm-hmm. with. But it's also like, you know, that whole going back to back, back then, you know, IBS, there were still probiotics and that's the most perfect point that that story could ever provide any of the listeners today mm-hmm. is you know, utilize your ability to continue to stay on top of the research and follow people that are doing the same thing so you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Like you. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. There are a lot of pioneers in this field and I learn from them. <laughs> well, and you, and you know, you, that's what's great about your social media too because you share other people's things too and you share, you know, you're just, you can just tell you're so passionate about it that you just want to do everything you possibly can to share the information with the world. Yeah, I am. Um, I try and I, I'm glad you it do. is helping some people and um, hopefully we can continue to spread um, evidence-based nutrition. <laughs> That's, you know, it's funny saying it because I see a lot of doctors out there just promoting different kinds of diet and that gets on my nerves. Please take this out of the podcast. Oh. 
<laughs> no, it gets on my nerves too, you know, and I will say a lot of GI doctors, just even where I live, they just send referrals and they're like, they just, you know, have all these patients with IBS. And they're like, just put them on a low FODMAP diet. Like that's their solution to everything when it comes to Right. IBS. Yes. And that's what, yeah, that's yeah. what I hear a lot. And the people would do their own research on how to do the low FODMAP diets. And nobody really knows that it is not a permanent diet. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree with you. And I think even maybe there might be some dietitians that don't quite know that too, which is... <laughs> Good for them to know that it is not a permanent diet for people to be on. And that's, you know, and it's not any fault to probably dietitians, even like younger mm-hmm. dietitians. I don't think that's talked about enough Mm-mm. either. And a lot, and Monash is doing really well in promoting their training for dietitian, but, but their training, like I said, does not cover everything. Which also Mm -hmm. in the latest guideline to the American College of Gastroenterology is that the low format diet is recommended, but the evidence is weak. So it's, you know, I think we need to do a good job in working on, in learning more. Actually, please take all of this out. I'm I'm really blanking today. But, oh, no, um, you're fine. Yeah, no, you're if any fine. dietitian wants to learn more about GI, um, Dr. Megan Rossi from UK, she is a researcher at King's College London. She is a great resource. And her Instagram handle is the gut health doctor. And then, of okay. course, there is the book by Tamara Fruman. It is The Bloated Belly Whisperer. It is an amazing book. It's all evidence-based and experience. I think in okay. this field, the evidence is limited. Yeah. So you just have to kind of, you just kind of have to educate mm-hmm. yourself, kind of suggested reading those books, following um, Megan. And then also, I think following you definitely is a great resource as well. But I think ultimately what we're both kind of saying is that we just really need to help people heal their guts and to get their guts figured out to, I love that you mentioned about, you know, yes, we know that we need to eat fruits and vegetables, but combining fruit and vegetables at each mealtime and how mm-hmm. important that is as much as possible yeah. and doing the whole grains. And I think that if people would just do that, we'd be a much happier <laughs> gut, gut people. Right. I think yes, if people would <laughs> leave the fat diet out, because there's so many fat diet that attach fruits and oh. grains and, Yes. And intermittent fasting. Oh, my goodness. I have seen so many people who have done intermittent fasting. And, you know, the funny thing is people fast through the morning. But that is the time your body needs the stimulation from food to produce a bowel movement. And that's when people get stuck and and develop constipation down the road. So, See, that's a great point, too. Yeah, you're right. and the, But it's all trendy. So people love the trendy yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's all the trendy stuff we need to go out there and combat. (laughs) So, Jesse, when you think about, um, you know, your practice now and where do you kind of see yourself going with being a dietitian and specializing besides keeping up on all of the science-based research that you possibly can, what do you see for yourself in the future? Um, You know... So last year, I quit my job at Athletics. So I used to be a sports dietitian. And um, 
I, I didn't talk about that part. We skipped right through it. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> we went right to yeah, IVF. <laughs> so I was a sports dietitian for IU for the past three years. And of course, because of the pandemic, we all shut down. And, and then because I have young children, I didn't want to go back in and work. Um, I mean, not that I didn't want to go back in. It was quite difficult for me to leave that job because I thought I wanted to be in athletics forever. But it is a different world. But um, I decided I mm-hmm. have to stay home with the kids because the school was shut down. We can't send them back. And I don't feel safe sending them back. And um, so where was I going with it? So I left athletics last year to grow my private practice. So before that, I, my, I didn't really have time for my Instagram account because I was running the other Instagram account at work. Oh, sure. And... Yeah. So then you kind of just started I, really growing your presence online and did that grow mm-hmm. your business then? Did you start to get more clients yes, that way? Yes. yes. And I think it was a really good time. I hired a business coach to help me learn to, to teach me how to grow my um, social media presence. I think that is so important for dietitians because I do see a lot of dietitians who have um, who have an Instagram account, they're putting out really great information, but their reach is so low because I, they don't know how to work the algorithm. And of course, Instagram changes their algorithm all the time. Instead of you know trying to mm-hmm. figure it out yourself, hire someone who knows how to do it, and then you're reaching a lot more people and you're really making an impact. Because we need more dietitian influencers. We need more dietitians out there promoting um, normal eating, just normalized eating, no more diets. Mm-hmm. 100% mm-hmm. agree with you. <laughs> Stop the diet madness. Please, people. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're wrecking your guts. Yes, <laughs> yes. And creating food fear. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh, for sure. So that's been exciting. I mean, like, honestly, like that transition for you has been, it sounds like it's been a great transition. I think for you. so. Um, You're still figuring it I'm out. I'm still figuring bit, it out. I really like where I am at with my private practice, where I do have a constant stream of um, private practice clients, where they, it's not mm-hmm. overwhelming. I'm also starting group coaching, which I can help more people at a lower cost. Because, you know, seeing a dietitian one-on-one, mm-hmm. that is really expensive and not everybody can afford it. And, um, and with gut health, though, it's not like you can sell a course and they're going to get better. Usually the people who come to work with a dietitian, they are at a point where they, are, they really need the one-on-one help or need good guidance. So I'm doing group coaching now, which I think it's, it's great. And that helps me as well in terms of how I utilize my time. Sure. Because you still have a family and you still have other things that are priorities. Mm-hmm. In your life yeah. Too. And that's important, everybody. We have to find that work life yes. balance. Yes. Especially in a <laughs> pandemic when the kids are home all the time. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have to say, I'm impressed by the cooking that you share and the activities that you do. I mean, like, I'm sometimes I'm like, how does she do all do, this? Do all I the share time? cooking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. You'll share some of your things that you make on, and I mean, it's nothing like 
you're not right. doing like elaborate things, but you're like, Hey, I'm putting this together and it's realistic. I love that. Yeah. So and I do follow a lot of other dietitians who really help show you how to do it. I love, um, who is that? Liz Shaw, um, Liz Simple Swap. Yes. I love oh, yeah, her yeah. recipes. Yes. And then also, what is that? Constant Kitchen. I mean, oh, yeah, at least, yes, at least she does. She does like, following yes. them, and it's really motivating <laughs> seeing other dietitians make simple dishes, right? Okay, this takes 30 minutes. Can I do it? I can do it. And then also <laughs> seeing the meal prep. <laughs> I think that helps me, motivates me to meal prep. And then I, when I'm sharing, I'm like, maybe it can motivate someone else to do it. You know, but of course, I'm not a food photographer mm -hmm. or a great cook. You know, really, my cooking is just that we can survive, we can get by. <laughs> I love it. So true. <laughs> if you, you nail it on the head right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> And try to make it nutritious <laughs> along the way. So, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and make sure that you have your fruits and your vegetables and have it well-rounded meals. That's mm -hmm. the most important yes. thing. <laughs> I like it. Well, I love what you're doing um, with everything that you're promoting and educating wise. I think there's, I think you're definitely a person that I will always stay connected to because I think you're amazing but I also I do learn a lot from you and I hope anyone that's listening today does take away that um Jessie is definitely someone to just kind of just let her educate you on on all things IBS and she just puts it out there you don't <laughs> hold back and I love that about your messaging too it's great like today she's like dancing and she's talking about poop so you got to love that that just great approachable way that thank you, you. yes the dancing needs some uh, I, i'm really <laughs> looking at whichever dance is the easiest and it still takes me an hour to practice it that's how bad i am but thank you well, I think you thank you good. yes for anyone listening you know have an influence on social media you know, promote evidence-based nutrition yeah that's such a good message, Bridget. I like that. And we'll have to do an episode, I think, sometime and maybe just talk about gut health. I think that might be a fun episode to do. But I wanted to learn more about you first before I was like, hey, tell me all the details mm -hmm. that you know. So Definitely. Um, and, but yeah, that would be a fun mm -hmm. episode to do. Um, so I always like to end my podcast with the hard questions. You answered all the easy ones. So why don't you share with me some of your the foods that you enjoy? Mm, are we talking about cravings or regular everyday food <laughs> anything that eddie anything it can be cravings it can be everyday food or you know one this is a hard question for me because i love food but i love food that is not cooked by me does that sound funny <laughs> <laughs> No, I, right. I'm with you on I, this I think one. <laughs> right now I'm really craving for um, dim sum. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So that is, you, you are? Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. And yes, mm -hmm. it is. And it it's is delicious. what I eat growing up with my family. So I am here in the US with my husband. All of our families are overseas in Hong Kong and different parts of China. So gotcha. growing up in my family, at least my grandfather, um, 
my grandfather was the person holding up the whole, holding the whole family together. He has five kids and my mom was the youngest one. And every Sunday we would go oh. to have dim sum together for brunch. And that was our family tradition. Mm. And um, living in Indiana, that's the hardest thing because there's very few places that have it. And I am in Bloomington, Indiana. In the past, I would drive an hour or an hour and a half to go up to Indianapolis to have dim sum. But throughout the pandemic, we were not able to do any of that. So, but it's okay. Aww. It's coming to an end. I'm so thrilled <laughs> with all the vaccine information that's coming out. And, and mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful things will go back to normal soon or some extent of normal that we won't be afraid to travel or eat indoors anymore in the future. Yes. So dim sum is on the menu for yes. you as soon as possible. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't what shared about, this, but oh, we are actually planning on moving to Seattle sometime soon. And as soon as in this oh. summer. And, um, and I'm really looking forward to the food scene over there. You live in the Midwest, you know. Yeah, I mean, there are good food in certain yeah, places, but they are just not... Not like the choices you get in certain big cities. Right. It's very few and far between. Yeah. And you find like that one place and that yes. is like the only place that provides yes. you with the good stuff. <laughs> oh, Seattle will be fun. You'll have, that'll be a great adventure. Right. For and I'm really excited sure. <laughs> about that. Good. Good. Thank well, you. I'm excited for you. What about... Well, what about beverages? What kind of things do you enjoy drinking? Mm. I'm currently, yes, water, water right? definitely, especially <laughs> sparkling water. I actually recently got a, um, what are those sparkling water machines? I can't remember the name, but yeah. Oh, yes. Like the I soda, soda thing? Thing and like I'm the soda obsessed. Stream? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's oh, but fun. My favorite beverage, let's link it back to gut health, coffee, 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 okay. coffee. Yes. I have to have my coffee. So How does coffee that help with has chlorogenic acid in it. It's actually a laxative. So you know how we always say, once you drink a coffee, you're going to have a bowel movement. And that is the reason why, because it is mm -hmm. a laxative. It's going to stimulate your gut to produce a bowel movement. But people with IBS, you know, if things are really stuck, they drink coffee, they cramp because things are stuck. So a lot of the times you will hear people say, well, if you don't tolerate coffee, then don't drink it. But the key is to clean things out first and then drink the coffee every day in the morning. Interesting. So you are oh, yeah, a coffee drinker coffee. as well. I, I live off of coffee. If I don't <laughs> drink my coffee, I don't feel awake. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> you need yes. that juice. But I also huh? need you to be that. really careful because I'm very sensitive. I can only have one cup a day. If I drink one around noon or even oh. afternoon, sometimes I would try. But then I would pay for it at night. I won't be able to sleep. So, yeah. Um, what about scents or smells? What about what kind of things mm, do you like to donuts. smell? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's so dietitian, oh, yes. right? 
No, that's okay. But that smell is yeah. delightful. We, we've not had donuts for almost a year. Last year, our local donut shop, shop delivered. And this year, they stopped delivering. I think I can go pick it up, but I just haven't made Aww. it out there yet. It's on my to-do list. My daughter's birthday is in about a week, two weeks. And she wants donuts. And I said, yes, let's get donuts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hope I oh, see you eating donuts. I'm definitely posting it. That'll be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you were not, okay, now, now this, again, we kind of talked about this, but maybe you have a different answer. But if you were not a dietitian, what would your dream job be? This is a hard one. It wouldn't, no, <laughs> it wouldn't be an accountant. We know that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Nope. Um, Do you think you'd still want to be a doctor? Not after 2020, really. <laughs> no. Yeah. I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. How that kind of changed, changed, I think it changed everybody's mindset. Um, right. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Um, I'm thinking yoga instructor, but I also don't know. That's something I want to do down the road. If we stay in Bloomington for another year, I think I would get my yoga training done. Because it's so affordable to do it here. Ooh, but it's a huge yeah. commitment. And, um, um, but, um, yes. Interesting. That's a good answer. I like it. You must like, do you do yoga on a regular basis? Uh, you know, I'm rethinking about this answer because no, I try to, but I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, but I'm like, <laughs> I love your honesty. You're right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm perfect. I do yoga every day, but no, I do think it's really good for us. I do think a lot of those stretching and, and just using your body weight as a, a way to strength train your body and not overdo it, it's really important. And, of course, I used to work with athletes. I see how they train. And sometimes I feel bad for those college athletes where they have to really push their body to the limit and then something breaks. Then, you know, they have to start over again, recover, and then start over again. Mm -hmm. So, which is which also maybe speaking to why athletics may not be the best fit for me because that's not my mentality. Please take this mm -hmm. whole part out. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. You're, I like you. I like you talking through this because I think it's interesting how we think about things and then maybe you don't, and maybe it's okay mm -hmm. to not have an answer. You know, sometimes you're like, Oh, I don't know what I would do. And that's okay. Again, okay. If you don't know, it's, it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those things that you're like, wait, maybe right. I don't want to do that. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You're still a dietitian, so you're right. not going to do no. it. <laughs> Probably. <And the> athletics <laughs> has its own fulfillment if you can, you know, really integrate yourself with your teams. So at IU, we actually each have to work with many teams. So it was hard, but there are some teams that really sees your presence to be an important part of their success. One of the coach that I worked with, actually, after he mm -hmm. found out I left, he texted me and said, you know, Jesse, you are a huge part to why our team is so successful now. And then there was another coach. He actually said it to his whole team and said, Jesse is the reason why you are winning. 
because, well, if anybody listening who wants to do sports, we have a lot of potential in really helping people feel better. And when they feel better, they play so much better. But getting the buy-in from the coaches is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I had some very positive <laughs> experiences. Like these two teams, they, they were amazing. And there were teams that I could probably get better with them as we worked together for longer. But there are coaches and the diet culture is all, it's all over the place in terms of athletics. You know, there's so much you need to put out, not just from the athletes, but from the coaches as well. So, yeah, getting their buy-in, really changing their mind can be challenging, especially when it comes to weight class sports. Oh, for sure. Oh, you were in Iowa. I went to Iowa sense. with one of our teams. <laughs> I did. Oh, I know, did you? Right? Lucky I was you. Excited. <laughs> Actually, I was very excited because it is the you know I watched. Um, you might find this silly because I think when I share this with people, people are like, "Oh, Jesse, you're so silly." Um, <laughs> you know, back in the days, a few years ago, what is that show about the White House? It's on Netflix, The Underwoods. Um, yes, yes. Oh, so I didn't talk about house the first caucus is mm-hmm. in Iowa, right? And they had such a huge focus yes. on Iowa. And I mean, in all the political <laughs> shows, that's what they do, even in Veep, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to Iowa. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You mm-hmm. got to place where yes, the caucus where the first crazy. caucus happens. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, well, and my final question is what brings you joy in life? And I love this because it can kind of connect to what you call your you know, business as well. Um, today is a really good day. And one of my clients, I don't work with Pete a lot, but if they are teenagers, if they're really struggling, then I'm okay helping them. And one of them, actually, I have two rights now that I'm working with and I solved both cases. One of them, yes, and one of them that happens today because they have, um, let me share the one that's in, um, in Indiana. So, so when they, when your teenager is struggling with gut issues, you go to the hospital, you go to your doctor, they threw a lot of medications at them, at the boy. And um, what he really had was severe constipation that led to actually overflow diarrhea. So he was having diarrhea every day. And the thing about overflow diarrhea is that it's urgent. You don't know when it's going to hit you. Usually it's in the morning. People will have really urgent bowel movements. That's diarrhea, that's watery, and and then they feel better later on in the day. Because for most of us, in the morning is when your body wants to produce a bowel movement and it's trying to push really hard. And that's when you get the cramping and you get the nauseousness. So... So they've done a ton of testing, right? Um, if you are familiar with IBS, you know, you have to rule out celiac, rule out IBD. And when these cases come in, especially when it is a minor, then you really want to do everything you can to help them to figure out what's going on, to see if they have IBD or if they have celiac or what is going on in there. And um, But when we worked together, and it's crazy because I would have them go on a laxative and, of course, you know, the parents would be like, he's having diarrhea. You want him to be on a laxative? 
And I'm like, yes, I want him to be on the laxative and I mm-hmm. want to see what the poop looks like after he's on the laxative. And guess what? He was having really good, solid poop that came out. And that was, you know, when you solve problems like this and mm. when you meet with them again and see that they are happy because they are not on a ton of medication. Because he was on the medication that takes away the nauseousness. He was on the medication to stop the diarrhea. And he was on um, antidepressants to help stimulate better gut motility or to slow his gut down. Antidepressant helps in some cases. Research has shown that it helps. But anyways, all of it was putting a bandage on his constipation, which was the underlying causes. So when we find out what happens when we solve you know, a huge question, you know, and he's been struggling with diarrhea for the past two years as a high schooler. It can really impact Mm. on their mental health. But the good thing is these teenagers I'm working with right now, they're happy people. They are not, they're frustrated. They're not depressed. They are frustrated, but they're not depressed. depressed. Yeah. So, but seeing, I think the last meeting, seeing, One of them was today and one of them was about two weeks ago. Seeing them being happy, knowing what is wrong with them and not having that constant pressure of something is wrong with my gut and we just don't know what is wrong. You know, I think that brings me so much joy. Well, you're changing lives too. I mean, like that's that's life-changing for them. Yeah, it is. And which is also why I'm really glad I became a dietitian. I also found a niche that I can really help people. Now, if you send me someone who has IBD or who has short bowel, who has celiac, I would be like, I don't know what to do with you. But I know IBS very well. But then, of course, gut health mm-hmm. is always a puzzle. You know, you got to peel all the pieces and see what's really going on over there. <laughs> it That's is the, the fun, fun part. part. Yes. <laughs> the fun parts. And look right? at the pictures every day. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah. Someone's, someone's got to do, do it, though, right? And, you know, <laughs> fill in the gaps in between. For sure. <laughs> you're, you're a private I'm a investigator. Poop investigator. Oh, my God. I love that name. <laughs> you are. <laughs> You're you are instead of a instead of PI as private, right. you're PI as in like so yes. <laughs> well, Jesse, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I I know that I mm-hmm. um could we could have talked forever, but I hope someday that we can have another conversation a little bit more, maybe about all the stuff that you know. But thank, thank you for so doing all the great work. And that you're doing. it's an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, well, I, it's an honor to have um, you on my podcast. So thank you. I saw you talk. I I think I told you, I saw you talk when you came to Indianapolis a few years ago. And I have been listening to your podcast, I think, early on as a dietitian, because you've got, you've got such a huge mix of different people. I think one of them I could remember really well was the, the lady who was also a lawyer. I don't know if you remember. That was such a long time ago. I mean, I... Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
Yes, that was a long time ago. Oh my gosh. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you oh, are changing know. Crazy. people's life because, you know, we listen to it. It stays with us. And someday, you know, we're going to step out of our comfort zone, start our own private practice. One thing actually she talked about, and I really remember is that she said how lonely private practice can be. And it is really true. Um, mm-hmm. but having a coach or having a mastermind group really helps. And I have a few other dietitians that I'm messaging almost on a daily, a daily basis, just keeping each other sane, you know, <laughs> that's good. That's good. And you need that. Like that's a necessity. And especially like, you know, during this whole past year, I think it's, Mm-hmm. immediately more necessity yeah. than so, ever. Thank you for doing all of this. It's, it's, yeah, it, it changed my <laughs> well, life. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, I, you're changing my life and helping me be a better dietitian. So that's something that I hope you know that you're doing without even knowing it. At least there's, I know if there's me, there's other people too. So you're doing, you're doing (laughs) things that you don't even realize are happening. (laughs) I truly do learn so much from Jesse's Instagram. The IBS world is affecting so many people and we as dietitians need to do our part to be as educated as possible with that evidence-based research. I love that she brought that up. Sometimes we forget as dietitians when we're working with clients that we need to have that evidence-based research kind of backing what we're doing with our clients. I had no idea about probiotics and IBS and SIBO, so that just made me confirm that following Jessie is the right thing to do. You can find her on Instagram at ibs.dietitian, and I've also linked it in my show notes. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.